Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, Rick Burgess uh, here inside the Rick and Bubba Studios. Uh, once again, uh, missing opportunities uh, to be with the actual men uh, that have been attending this Bible study for, for five years now. Uh, but, but because of all the, the COVID restrictions and, and problems with that, and, uh, and sadly, they, they do not look like, uh, it doesn't look like at this time it's getting better as far as us trying to stay out of uh, you know, intimate spaces with a lot of people. The good news is uh, with the treatments that we have uh, that, are, that are coming up and being researched, uh, all the time, we are able to treat people uh, better uh, and with much more success than maybe at the very beginning. But uh, trying uh, to do our part and not living, uh, you know, with anxiety and fear, but also try not to be reckless either. I do miss uh, the men being here in the room uh, with us, and I, I hope we can get back to that sooner than later. But the good news is, thank you, Lord, for technology. Uh, as this uh, Bible study goes out and is viewed and heard uh, by thousands of people every week, uh, including, hopefully, uh, the men who are normally here in the room. We are now in the study of Second Peter. And before we jump into that today, just a couple things I want to inform you about. Uh, as you know, we created themanchurch.com uh, back in March of this year, and uh, we now have over 100 churches that have implemented the men's discipleship strategy uh, and, and, and that number is growing every single day. Uh, so the question before you is, is this, do, do you have a game plan for 2021 to reach and then disciple the men of your church or your community? If you do not, uh, we would love to help you. TheManChurch.com, we have a complete discipleship strategy. I mean, it is a turnkey every year for 40 weeks of the, 50, 40 weeks of the, the 52 weeks of a year. We have materials designed for you to reach and disciple the men of your church and of your community. I was honored to be in First Baptist Church, Columbus, Mississippi, uh, this past Sunday, and a young pastor has just started as the brand-new pastor there. And I told those men that uh, do the work of the men's ministry at that church who now are implementing this game plan, uh, I told them there's no greater gift that you can give to a young pastor or, or for that matter, any pastor than, than the gift of a vibrant men's ministry. Uh, and, and sadly, vibrant men's ministries are, are few and far between. Uh, and you can see the results of that. Uh, and so if there's anything we can do to help you at themanchurch.com, we will. Uh, there's multiple dates that you can go to burgessministries.com and click on upcoming events. Some of these are just services for individual churches. But I do want to bring your attention to two that will be events. Uh, one of those will be January the 9th. This is what we call a man church one day. Now, what is a man church one day? Well, instead of a whole weekend being you know, uh, on the calendar for, for men, we say, let's get together and kind of take a, a weekend men's conference and push it into one day. Uh, and it's really only a little over half that day. So we'll, we'll start on January the 9th. It'll be a Saturday morning. We'll take uh, multiple members of Team Man Church. I'll be there teaching. Rich Wingo will be teaching. Andy Blanks will be there to, to sit on a panel and answer questions. And uh, you can be part of that. It will be in Charleston, Missouri. Uh, so we'll be our second trip back to Charleston, Missouri, first one last January, January the 9th. So if you can be in that area, you'd like to know more about that, go to BurgessMinistries.com. The other I want to bring your attention to that is an event, uh, that is our Pursuit Men's Conference. We had our first one last year when the, uh, the Manchester.com 
you know, released its first, we released our first uh, curriculum. Uh, we were putting it together called The Pursuit. Uh, this men's conference is called The Pursuit. We'll release our second curriculum coming up in February. We'll have a, another brand new 40-week curriculum that will be available to anyone who wants to use it, and we'll be kicking it off uh, at the Pursuit Men's Conference. Steve Farrar will be there. Rich Wingo will be there on that one as well. Brody Kroll will be there. I will be teaching. Um, uh, Michael Adler will be coming back again to, to with the Pursuit Praise and Worship Band, which will feature our own Eddie Van Adler as well. Uh, so if you'd like to join us on February the 19th and the 20th, that's in Dothan, Alabama at the Dothan Civic Center. Uh, you can get those details by going to BurgessMinistries.com under events. There, there are many other dates that you can be part of in 2021, and we're adding those. But these two that I'm mentioning, I want you to be aware of because they're events and open to anyone who wants to attend. So let's open in a, in a word of prayer, and then let's dive in to chapter 2 of Second Peter. Our topic today, false teachers and false prophets. Lord Jesus, give us discernment. You have warned us through Peter, and you have warned us through Paul, and you've warned us throughout Scripture with James for us to understand that, that part of this fallen creation will always be attempts for heretics uh, to, to stand in pulpits, for heretics uh, to get on social media in modern times and, and, and say things uh, that are not correct. Help us, Lord, to, through the Holy Spirit and through our knowledge of your word to discern these things. And may we take your warning today and apply them to our lives uh, in the days ahead. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's say, uh, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, let's go to 2 Peter. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 2. Uh, uh, th this is going to be, uh, you know, talking about watching out for false teachers. Uh, more so, I mean, he's going to talk a little bit about false prophets, and, and they are something we should look for. But false prophets... Were, were more of a problem in the Old Testament, which we'll reference. And now you see Peter saying, just as we had the false prophets of old, you need to be aware that you're going to face now in the church age, you need to be aware of false teachers. And remember what we talked about. First uh, Peter, which is what we did prior to this, if you, if you missed that study, uh, you can go to this YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, hit playlist, and you'll see our, our most recent study on First Peter. Or you can go to BurgessMinistries.com and click on Listen, and you can find it there if you go to the Wednesday Bible study. But, but in 1 Peter, Peter was more concerned about Nero and, and the attacks, uh, martyring the church and the attacks on the church from the outside world. But remember, 2 Peter is now warning the Christians of, of Peter's day about be careful of attacks from inside the church. And even though things for the Western church are going to get more difficult as the day goes forward, just as it's difficult around the world, uh, you know, especially if things stay the way they are and we keep moving toward more of a socialistic, Marxist form of government, the church always pays a price under those type of governments because of our ultimate uh, commitment and acknowledgement that we serve one king, we serve one Lord, and it is not a worldly government. We behave as good citizens unless we're asked to blaspheme God, and of course we won't, because He is our ultimate authority, and to Him alone we pledge our true um, uh, devotion and allegiance. So anyway, so that always brings problems to the church. But right now, in the state we're in, 
uh, in the modern church in the West, the contemporary church, we're in much worse shape from false teachers than we are from outside uh, attacks and persecution. Most of our persecution right now is coming from inside the church. So this is, uh, this is an important message for us today. And, of course, Peter was seeing it, so, so were others uh, in Scripture. From the time the church started, heretics and false teachers have always been an issue. And Peter is reminding us of this again, and we need to pl- apply it to modern day. You know, when we're living in a time where we have a pope that is saying the things that he's saying, okay, and I do realize that, uh, that many oppose what he's saying. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, but when, when you've got somebody with the kind of influence that the Pope has, uh, saying that God is changing his view on all sorts of things, the latest marriage, then we really need to wake up and be aware because we, we were shown that these false teachers and, and these, not the Antichrist, but, but Antichrist-like people that will come into our world Ultimately, we know, ultimately we know, for everything to be fulfilled in Scripture, that for the Antichrist to finally take the place that Scripture tells us that he will take, he will need the endorsement of a counterfeit church. So be aware of that. Peter's going to warn us today, watch out for counterfeit teachers, ultimately the counterfeit church. And it is alive and well in America right now, alive and well. Uh, So here's what uh, Peter says. But false prophets, this is in verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, meaning in the past, just as there will be false teachers among you. So let's take that on. This is the doctrine of the heretics uh, in verse 1 through 3a. So let's start with verse 1. What is a false prophet? What, What do we mean by a false teacher? Um, they're, they're, they're lying in the message, okay? Uh, a false prophet is one who speaks forth and openly proclaiming a lying message that he claims or she claims to have received from God. So remember, when you see a false prophet, we'll deal with them first, they will always say that they have a message from God, but it's not someone who's mistaken, They'll claim to have a message from God, but they know it's not. When you're talking about a false prophet and a false teacher, they are deceiving on purpose. They are aware that they're being deceptive, and that's important to note. So this was going on in Jeremiah's day, uh, in Jeremiah 5.31. If you want to write that down, Jeremiah 5.31, this is what God said through Jeremiah. The prophets prophesy falsely, and my people love to have it. So remember, and we're going to get into this. Remember, Paul, I can hear that, that letter to Timothy. Paul saying, look, there's going to come a day when, when, when the people, uh, we're not just going to have false teachers. We're going to have the people seeking false teachers because they love the things they say that tickle their ears, and they will find teachers for themselves that will confirm the kind of life and the sin that they want. They'll find teachers to suit the way they want God to be. They'll find teachers to suit what they wish the Bible says. And let me tell you something, that is alive and well in our country right now. And so here was Jeremiah, uh, and God was saying, 
not only do we have false prophets who are prophesying falsely, my people seem to love it. And boy, you see that, don't you? Man, we got some false teachers in this country, and they can pack an auditorium. <laughs> if we were allowed to meet in an open field, they, they, could, they, could, they could pile people into an open field. Now, that doesn't mean that every big church that a lot of people are drawn to, that this person must be a false teacher. That does not mean that. Uh, John MacArthur uh, is clearly not a false teacher. Uh, and, and, and he packs them in there pretty good. That, that's, not what we're, that's not an indication of false teaching. I'm just telling you that false teaching does draw a crowd. Uh, it, it, and, and there are people that will go, go and listen to a false teacher because they like what the false teacher says more than they like what Scripture says. Now, sometimes they're deceived by a false teacher because they don't know Scripture well enough to go, that's not right. That, that, that's in, that, hey, that, that doesn't... That doesn't match up with Scripture. So that's important. We've talked about that a lot. So false teachers are, are not people who are, are making mistakes. Uh, like, let me give you an example. When we were doing our study of Acts, and if you missed that, same thing, you can get that by going to playlist here on the YouTube channel or going to BurgessMinistries.com. Click on Listen, find the Wednesday Bible Study. You can, you can hear or watch our series on the book of Acts. So if you remember in Acts 18... Uh, verses 24 through 26. Write that down. This is not what we mean by a false teacher, and this is Apollos. If you remember, Apollos was a new believer, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and he, was, he, was, he, he had a, a lot of, a lot of uh, excitement, and he was excited about his newfound faith, but he wasn't as savvy with it as he needed to be, especially going out and talking uh, uh, about uh, uh, redemption and salvation. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And this is not what we're talking about when we're talking about false teachers. So we're talking about Acts 18, 24 through 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in, scriptures, in Scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He did not understand baptism. He did not get that correct, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogues, but Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they took him aside and explained to him the ways of God more accurately. That's not a false teacher. That's someone who just doesn't know. Look, you can go back embarrassingly. You can go back, and when I first became a follower of Jesus, I openly admit, because of having a platform, I was probably pushed into the place of teaching and speaking before I really should have been. Uh, and I didn't do it. I wasn't trying to deceive anybody. And I, and I hope that the damage that I did was, was not uh, anything major. But I didn't know enough to be in that position in the early days of me speaking. And, um, and, and, and I wasn't doing that to be deceptive. There was just some things that I would preach differently now because of what I know about Scripture versus when, when, when I first became a follower of Jesus, a lot like Apollos, and I had people who would correct me. So I wasn't trying to be a false teacher. I just didn't know what I, what I needed to know or what I know now, and I will continue to grow in, in this. But no, false teachers, they deliberately distort or deny the truth of God. It is deceitful. It, 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 it is intentional, and it's deceitful. And that's what Peter is warning about, okay? 
And uh, so it, it's also not just, um, you know, it's not just deceitful. It's also damnable. Look, 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 what, um, look what Peter says next. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, meaning they're doing it on purpose, even denying the master who brought them, master is capitalized, speaking of Jesus, uh, bring upon themselves swift destruction. So they will secretly bring destructive heresies of destruction. To, to believe them leads to the people's destruction. Uh, the church in Asia Minor was, was full of this. Uh, Timothy was sent to Ephesus. If you remember, that's what we talked about a minute ago. Paul was telling him in, in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. So write that down, 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. You'll see that. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 7. Write that down. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. So uh, these letters from Paul, he spends this much of these two letters telling Timothy, we got to get up there and correct some of these false teachers, and I need to warn you about them, be on the lookout. Uh, and and Colossae, uh, remember Paul warns the church in, in the uh, in Colossians, he says, hey, I'm warning you about the teachings of another gospel. So the, this, this is something that has been in Scripture, but listen to what uh, is, why it's important that you not be deceived by these deceitful teachers or these deceitful prophets, and I'm putting quotes around that, because he says they will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who brought them, they're not even talking about God, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And it also will bring destruction on the people who are deceived by it. It's extremely important for us not to be deceived. Well, Rick, how will I not be deceived? you got to abide in Christ, we talked about a lot, all the time. You don't, you don't flip that switch on and off or, or, or get to that part of your life whenever everything else you truly have a passion for has gotten the time it needs. You need to put it to the forefront of your life. Because as we've said a thousand times, we usually become an expert on things that we deem of value and care about. So if this is something uh, that you care about, the Word of God, then we should be treating it with the exact same fervor, with the exact same energy, with the exact same time out of our days as we would anything that we want to be well-versed on. And I'll be honest with you, if you don't spend time in some sort of small group learning, if you don't spend time in the Word of God, if, if, if there's no time in the Word of God, no time in a small group, no time hearing teaching or reading and studying and praying, you will likely be deceived. And there are... There are seats and pulpits full every Sunday of people who are being deceived. And the reason why they haven't left that church and they haven't uh, walked out from the authority of this person is they don't know any better. But here's the problem. You, you're not going to be able to stand in front of God if you have been deceived into a false gospel that will bring swift destruction and say to God when he sits on the judgment seat, well, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Because you know what he will say? Well, I gave you every opportunity to know. And Adrian Rogers said it best. You've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. Anytime that you're being aware and you're worried about the devil and his demons, 
and you're looking to be sure that you're not being fooled for them, you better never fail to look to that pulpit because he'll find himself there too many times. So now let's talk about the next thing he says about false teachers and false prophets in verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. All right. So we know he says that, that there's, they're teaching a false gospel. We know that he just said uh, in, in, verse, in verses 1 toward the end, they deny the Lord that brought them, which is a hallmark of false teaching and prophets. Um, they, they, they know what the truth is. They've turned from it. And, and, of course, they bring on themselves and those who are food swift destruction. So remember this, and this is important before I move into what we're talking about here about the sensuality because this one you're going to see rampant in our society today. But also be very, very careful. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I know it's offensive to some to people that you may know, and it may be offensive to you watching this right now. And I apologize, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. Any form of Christianity, and I'm putting, I'm putting quotes around it, that denies the deity of Christ, if anything in their theology denies that, that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man when he went to the cross is heresy and it is a false doctrine, it is a false gospel, and you should not be part of it. As I have said over and over again, and, and, and it's even got me in a little bit of trouble sometimes within the church, and I apologize, well, I don't apologize for it, because I, I, I think that, how about this? The people that agree with what I'm saying, I tend to have more respect for them as powerful men and women of God than the people who got upset with me. Uh, but, but because the, I, think, I don't think there's any way to really deny, is, and this is when we, we have these, these leaders that I, a lot of them I do have great respect for, don't misunderstand me, they got so caught up, which I understand, uh, on the lack of character uh, and honesty and humility with Donald Trump. But at the same time, you have to also be upset with the ideology and, and the, the, the lying and the blaspheming of, of, uh, of, of Joe Biden's administration when it comes to God's standard for marriage, when it comes to where life begins, when it comes to uh, you know that that uh, that Christianity is the only true religion, uh, they are all the religions are not on equal standing. So you could look at this 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 situation with these type of political candidates and go, where do I land? I can see problems on both sides of it, and there's been a lot of Christian leaders that have written that, and I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with if none of these people wrote about Mitt Romney the same way. I got a real problem with that because then it comes across as more political than it does spiritual because Mormonism is a false gospel. And, and, and if Mitt Romney was the candidate and somebody said, well, you, 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 as a Christian, you can still vote for Mitt Romney even though Mormonism is, is not Christianity. Uh, there's all kinds of issues in Mormonism that are not in this Bible. Well, let's talk about this. Also includes that, 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 that somewhere Joseph Smith claims he got another revelation and the rest of the Bible in, in, in the United States of America. So, so there's all kinds of problems with this theology. And, and Mormons can be some very kind, nice people. They better be, according to their religious convictions. 
uh, in their true belief system, uh, and that that's okay. But that doesn't mean that that, that they are not uh, all believing and teaching a false gospel. They are. Okay, Mormonism is not Christianity. It's not a denomination. It, it's a false religion. Okay, so. And I'm sorry if that upsets you, but I think you need to check into it because it, it you really need to. Uh, you you you've been lured into something if you if you if you don't know that. Okay, so if these Christian leaders said we you got to understand that you got to be careful voting for a Mormon if you're a Christian. Okay, I think well this person is 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 consistent. They they see the flaws of Donald Trump and they saw the flaws of Mitt Romney, and and then they and 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 so they're consistent. But if all you did is write about the flaws of Donald Trump, but you never pointed out that Mitt Romney was a Mormon, and, and we've got some real issues uh, as followers of Christ with the tenets of the, of the Mormon faith, well, then you're being inconsistent. Um, I remember standing out there talking to my wife, and I said, we've got a choice between you know, a, a political party that, that blasphemes God uh, on where life begins, on God's standard for marriage, gender, uh, and all these different things. But over here, we've got a candidate who's a Mormon, and 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 I, and and that's blaspheming the gospel as well. So I, I don't I don't know where to land on this. But see, so we always have these situations, but we've got to be able to to discern and and say, well, well, I can make these decisions as best I can. But we must be consistent on calling out things that are concerning when we're dealing with people who claim to be Christians, uh, not, not, just, not just if somebody's mean and we don't like him. And so that's, uh, that, that's, that's my speech on that. So, but be, but if, if, if the deity of Christ is absent from theology, it's a false theology. So, so then we get into the next thing, and you see this going on everywhere in our country, what he says in verse 2. And many will fall, talking about the false teachers, their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Uh, you always see in false teachers, you almost always find it, they're usually revealed by what? Sexual Im uh, impropriety. Uh, you, you see it all the time. Somebody asked me the other day, hey, man, were you surprised by this Hillsong Pastor, what's his name? I, I don't even know his name. Glenn something. Uh, that that he found out he was not being faithful to his wife? No. Hey, did that Jerry Falwell Jr. thing surprise you? No, it, it didn't. Because I watched how they lived their life. Zero accountability. Uh, they, they, they did things that, you know, and it, it's like I saw some pictures this guy would, would, would put out of himself with his shirt unbuttoned or his pants down around, uh, you know, with the point that you can almost see things you shouldn't see. Uh, and the way he carried himself, where's the person in his life that says, hey, brother, you shouldn't dress like that. That's inappropriate. You shouldn't have pictures of yourself out there like that. Uh, where, where, where were the people that should have come to Falwell Jr. long before all this happened and said, hey, man, this is questionable what you're doing here? No, I'm not surprised by the fall of these guys. You know why? Because I was watching. There were red flags just waving everywhere, but apparently they had no true accountability. Uh, maybe somebody you know thought the ultimate goal was to be liked, uh, not to tell the truth or not to help them, uh, like people helped me uh, when they told me things that I didn't want to hear. Uh, but it ended up saving my life. But you'll always see 
that there's some crude, uh, contrary sexual uh, behavior in their life. It, it happens all the time. I, you, I can give you example after example after example. False teachers draw people to a form of sexual sin that is presented as okay every single time. Hello, churches that are embracing homosexuality. That's, that's, those are false teachers. Man, I, I mean, I know. I, I've had to deal with this personally of having pastors, I'm sorry, false teachers stand up and start saying things that the Bible says about homosexuality that is incorrect. Uh, God said it was not good that, uh, that people should be alone. It's not what he said. See, that's a slight change. He looked at a man, a male, and he said it's not good that man is alone. A male is alone. So I will now make for the male the perfect helper, the perfect partner, meaning it isn't here yet. And then God made woman, and nowhere through Scripture does that standard of intimacy and marriage ever change. And if some teacher gets up in the pulpit and starts telling you that God has evolved on homosexuality, that is a false teacher, and they are going to get a swift destruction will come down on them. And if you start believing that, you're going to be under destruction with them. They're always promoting something sexually that is counter to God's standard. It's one of the signs. They deny the lordship of Christ, the deity of Christ, and God's standard for sexuality. It's always in the mix. And they usually will be exposed for something that was sexually inappropriate. Because, you know, what they, they, they think they're free under grace, and they'll tell you that, to do everything. God's evolved on this. He wouldn't deny. He wouldn't deny. What does that sound like? That sounds like the Garden of Eden. That sounds like Satan. You know why? Because it is. Oh, surely you won't die. He's just trying to deny you something. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. He's surely not going to kill you for doing this. Is that what he really said? These false teachers are everywhere, and man, I've seen it impact people I love. It's serious. And because you know what it is? You know what you say to yourself? Hey, I'm struggling with my sexuality, and man, we ought to have compassion, because you know what? Heterosexuals struggle with their sexuality too, their sexual purity, I promise you. And we should find common ground on that and talk about the struggles, but that, you know what, just as the heterosexual cannot get in the pulpit and condone adultery, and the heterosexual cannot get in the pulpit and condone uh, uh, fornication, sex outside of marriage, uh, just as that is a struggle for the, the heterosexual, maybe homosexuality is the struggle in a different sexual way for another brother or sister, but we don't just tell them it's okay, just as we wouldn't tell an adulterer or a fornicator it's okay. But we understand the struggle. So we talk about God's standard for sexual purity, period. Sometimes, uh, in all fairness, you would think if someone who is, if they're heterosexually not sexually pure, that God's okay with that. But he's not. I mean, you, you see in the list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, you do see the homosexual, but you see the adulterer, the fornicator, and the drunk. They're on there too. So, so it's, not, it's not that homosexuality requires some extra redemption, but it is not special and it doesn't get a pass. And, and, and to say otherwise is false doctrine. That's a false teacher. But you'll always find this stuff inside the, 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 uh, the false teacher's world, 
And if you think that's my opinion, then go read it again. It's Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, meaning sexual sin, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So, Rick, is, what does the Bible say about somebody teaching anything other than God's standard of sexual purity? Well, I'll tell you what, it was just called blasphemy. And, and we let it go on. We let it go on. That's, we don't love the people who are, who are in this deception, and we don't love his church. I mean, you can go on social media and look in churches, and you'll see people condoning uh, other standards of gender, other standards of God's marriage, I mean, of God's standard of marriage, and they'll post all over social media, you know, celebrate this with us. You look around, people in the church be liking it. Yeah, we're in with you. Have we gotten to the point that blasphemy bothers us so little? Well, good for them. God will be fine with that. What do you base that on? Well, I just think so. That's my feelings. I mean, he wouldn't deny these two people. I mean, love wins, Rick. No, truth wins. Truth wins. God wins. You cannot have love without truth. And you cannot have truth without love. Those things are on equal pillars. So that's another thing. So a false teacher will always be contrary to God's standard standard for sexual purity. What else? Uh, let's go on to three. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So with their greed, next thing you see, you see greed inside of a, a false teacher. The ministries for money. Now this is not talking about that you know, there's full-time staff members at churches who are paid a salary. That's not what this is talking about. What he's talking about, and we saw, we saw this sadly in the history of the Catholic Church, where there was a time when the Catholic Church was turned upside down because these priests started selling indulgences. Well, if you want to fudge a little bit on your sin, come over here and give the church some money, and we'll start saying that way you're living uh, is not so bad. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get between you and God and not have him condemn you. But of course, And then, of course, we have people that sell the gospel. You know, it, it, it's not, I'm here, I'm making a living, I'm a vocational minister. We have people saying, if you want God's blessing, uh, send us some money, and we'll be sure you get God's blessing. And, and let me just tell you what the Bible says. What, those kind of people, false teachers. They're, they're false teachers. Uh, this does not mean that, you know, Tony Evans is, has got a new book out, and, and if we're supposed to buy it, that makes Tony a false teacher. That's not what he's talking about. There's cost to that. There's nothing wrong with the, these, these men, men and women of God that, uh, that do work and write curriculums and do these kind of things. These things cost money. They cost money to make. What we're talking about is somebody saying, if you will pay me or give me your money, I will return you God's favor. You want redemption? Come buy it. You remember in, you remember in Acts? We had that happen as well. Simon the magician. Somebody, can, I, can I buy the Holy Spirit? And you remember what a, what a reaction he got? Uh, yeah, so, so th that's what this is talking about. This is absolutely, I remember uh, one time a, a false teacher held some rally at a football stadium where I grew up, and people that I knew were working it, like, you know, parking cars, this kind of thing. And nobody knew the guy was a false teacher. I mean, you could. And so they did a deal that if you will write down with your donation, 
to them a prayer request. They'll get together. They'll pray over it, uh, and and they'll they'll bring God's blessing down on it. They'll intercede for you in prayer. And, you know, of course, the more you donate, probably the more likely you are to get a blessing. Uh, and the saddest thing when this, uh, and I'm using quotes, evangelist left and the stadium emptied and the bus was gone uh, when they were cleaning up, guess what they found? They found a trash bag full of the prayer request. Uh, that's what they found. So that's a false teacher. Does that mean that... Uh, uh, that that there are that they're not solid men of God that, uh, that that do crusades. That doesn't mean that at all. Billy Graham's ministry has been above reproach, but the problem is if you see it's being for greed, and the books are not open to you, and you're not sure what's going on with the money, and things going on with the money don't seem right, uh, that's likely a sign of a false teacher. So what's the next thing uh, that we should be looking for according to Peter? He goes on to say their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. He says the doom of the heretics, he says, first of all, it is near. And, and uh, it says, and their greed will exploit you with false words, but their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Now, we see sometimes that judgment is, it doesn't come on the timetable that we wish sometimes as humans, but it it, it's the perfect time for God, and it does come. He says it's near judgment is on the heels of these false teacher teachers. It is coming. Their uh, eventual downfall is it is assured. So then he gets into verse 4, and he starts talking about its nature. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until... The judgment. We talked about this in First Peter. These are the angels that Peter's referencing that if you, you go to Genesis before God comes and destroys the earth and takes Noah and his family and destroys everything else, this is the time of the Nephilim. The Nephilim means fallen ones. These were the angels that went with Satan, and that was their first offense. But then some of those that went with Satan took a next step of condemnation by going into the earth and finding human women uh, to be desirable, took on, uh, you, know, we, we, you know, people start saying, well, how can an angel produce offspring with a human woman? I don't know the answer to that, but they did. We do know that angels are able to take on the form of just men. Uh, we see this in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, we see this when, you know, it says the men are standing there telling these, will appear to be men. Uh, why are y'all looking to heaven? Jesus is going to come back the way he went. Uh, we see uh, at the tomb. So, so angels, we know, took take on the form of human men, and apparently we know by biblical fact they were able to produce offspring, the Nephilim, uh, the fallen one, these giants that were there. And so God, he's saying, look, if God didn't spare angels when they sinned, and, and look what he did to them, uh, look at five, if he did not spare the, the, the ancient world, talking about the angels, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So he says, Peter takes us back to the past of God's dealing with apostasy in the days of old. The angels in Lucifer, 
Uh, sin, sin did not begin in earth. I mean, uh, it began in heaven. The rebellion of Lucifer and a third of the angels happened before uh, the earth was created, and then, of course, they came down to the earth. And, um, and, but this, what would happen here, instead of the angels, when, 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 when it happened in heaven, God gave no plan of salvation. But when sin entered the earth in the creation of human beings, God this time created a plan of salvation for human beings on earth but there was no salvation provided for the angels. And so he starts talking in, in verse 5. He says, the angels who rebelled, they have no hope, but we as human beings do. God spared Noah, not because he was perfect, but because he was obedient. He, he did what God told him to do. He had a saving faith when he believed that God was going to condemn the earth. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He'd never seen rain before, but he started building what God told him to build. We talked about this. He was used... When he condemned these angels, he destroyed the Nephilim and everybody that had become part of this ancient world. He wiped it clean, but he took the, just the, the 100% human being Noah and seven members of his family. Remember, seven is the perfect number of completion. Eight is the number of a new beginning. So he took eight human beings, pulled them out of this condemnation. He gets them on the ark, and then they start the new beginning, uh, the number eight. Remember that. And, uh, and then he, he pulled Noah out, again, not because of his perfection, but because of his obedience. He had a saving faith because he didn't just believe this was going to happen. He took action to do exactly to the letter what God told him to do. That is a saving faith. Then in verse 6, he says, If turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going That's going to happen to all the ungodly. He will wipe out the ungodly. Hey, that's going to happen again. It won't be by flood, which we'll get to in a minute. But he is going to eventually rid this. The new heaven and the new earth will be rid of the ungodly. And that will include these false teachers and sadly all that have been fooled by them. But verse 7, he said, And if he rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, especially for them. So God knows how to rescue the godly even when they're surrounded by so much temptation. If you have your Bible, this is important, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, one of the most abused verses in the Bible. People get this wrong so many times. Can we please today get this right, okay? So let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So let's say, well, you don't understand the times I'm living in, God. I mean, look around. There is so much temptation everywhere. Lot said that's all he saw, said he was tormented by all the sin and destruction that was going on around him. Noah had all this going on around him. But listen to this, what Paul tells us, and he's telling a church that he's not happy with because of the sin and then falling into temptation. And he says, you can't use the difficulty of the sensuality, the difficulty of, of the sin around you because, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. It drives me nuts when people say, well, you know, God will never give you more you can handle. That's not what this says. God, of course there's things in this world are more than we can handle. That's why we need God. What Paul is saying is, just what Peter is saying, you can't ever use as an excuse for your sin, I'm sorry, the temptation was just too strong. I couldn't escape it. Every single sin in my life that I'm ashamed of, God always gave me a way out, and I just didn't take it. There was never a, a sin that was presented in front of me that was so overwhelming that it was more powerful than God. I, my flesh versus my spirit just chose the wrong thing. I ignored the way out. I ignored sanctification. I ignored redemption. I, ne- I was always given a way out, and that's what, Paul is saying, and that's what Peter's saying. He said, look, it don't matter how bad it gets. If you go along with everybody else, you go along with them because you gave in, not because it was too powerful for you if you belong to God because nothing's more powerful than him. He never allows temptation to come into your life that is so overwhelming that he's not stronger than that, and he always gives you an escape route so you can endure the temptation because the temptation doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. Tests come from God. Refinement comes from God. Persecution is allowed by God, but temptation comes from Satan, and we can never say that Satan is stronger than God. There's always a way out, as we found for these two men. The deliverance of some in verse 7 and 8. Noah was a a just man. Lot, not so much. Lot's a mystery because he's not our example. Noah's a good example, Lot not so much. Uh, in his heart of hearts, he was right with God. You hear about the tormenting that he had with how bad Sodom and Gomorrah was. Uh, but he paid a huge price. We know that Lot will be with us in eternity. We know he was justified according to the New Testament. We see him listed as being righteous. And you see Peter to call him a righteous man. But you know what it cost Lot because of the way he decided to live? Because he didn't separate himself from Sodom and Gomorrah? His family fell in love with Sodom and Gomorrah. It cost him his family. It cost him his fortune. It cost him his friends. When God wiped out Sodom, his wife was so in love with Sodom that she could not turn away from it, and it cost her. His family and friends were consumed. Why was Lot not able to live in a way that delivered his family and his friends from God's wrath. Oh yeah, you may play games with your justification. You may say, well, what my family and my wife and what they watch and what they like and and you know, I, I'm not really watching. They, they've got their own version of God. They think it's going to be okay. Now in my heart of hearts, I know all this is wrong. I'm not real vocal about it. I don't really do much. As a matter of fact, they probably look at me and you see this when Lot gets ready to leave Sodom, his son-in-laws laugh at him. You know why? He didn't have any credibility. What do you mean? We, you live like you love this place too. Well, in my heart of hearts, I really don't. Well, I, we don't see that. We don't think you have any credibility. And then his wife. Come on, we got to go. But, but he'd let her be so in love with this. Well, what things, if men here are watching this, what things are you letting your wife do 
that could lead to her destruction. What are things you're letting your, your, your family and your children do that may lead to their destruction? Well, I don't want to make trouble, but in my heart of hearts, I know what I believe. Well, I would care what they believe because you're right. Maybe you have been justified. Maybe, maybe you're redeemed. But are you living a life as a man of God and, and as a, someone who's holy? Have you taught them to discern false teachings? Or do they look at you and do, do, does my family look at me and say, well, you seem to be okay with the entertainment we watch. You seem to be okay with the music that we listen to. You seem to be okay with the friends that we have. You seem to be okay with the places we go. And then all of a sudden, at the, at the end, if all of a sudden you, you hear that trumpet sound, you're sort of saying, oh, guys, hey, hey, we got to take this real serious. Jesus is coming back. Man, you, you got to do something. And they're laughing at you. Oh, you may be saved. Like Lot. But it cost his family. It cost them big. Lot's in heaven, according to Scripture. But his family's not. Lot was in the middle, and he was stressed about it. He was tormented about it. But because of the way he actually lived, his wife fell in love with Sodom. And you know what Peter says was rampant in Sodom? A total embracing of sexual sin, especially homosexuality. Especially and look at what's happening. I get an email a week, if not two to three. Can you help me? My child has declared that they're now gay. Look, I know. And people are saying, hey, what do we do? Why do you think that's happening? Because it's become mod. It's become cool. It's become, it goes unchallenged. Well, I go to church with these people. They're, they're celebrating it on Facebook. Uh, their kid who says they're, they're gay just married another kid of their own gender, and they're, they're still in the church. Nobody's, nobody's saying anything about it. Um, people on Facebook seem to be digging it. Seems kind of cool. They seem to get a lot of attention. I, I kind of want to be mod. Celebrities love it. Uh, people will refuse to play in cities that don't embrace it. You know, if, 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 you're, if, you're, if you're gay, you get a lot of attention. See, we're, it, it's becoming mod and cool just like it was in, in these societies. And Peter says this. He says in verse 10, the unrighteous will come under punishment and they'll be held there until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and those who despise authority. Wow. So we see that Noah was delivered out of this. So was Lot. Lot's family paid a price. Noah's family was saved. And you know what's kind of cool? Is you got to know that after what Noah went through, and I love this in some of the commentary that I read from John Phillips, he says, you know, that, that had to be kind of shaky for Noah. Can you imagine after you've been through what Noah went through, every time it started to rain? Every time it started to rain. You think he got scared? 
Well, see, God didn't want him to live that way. So he gave him the rainbow. And he said to Noah, look, what you went through, that's never going to happen again. Now, there will be a refinement coming, and judgment is coming, and God's wrath will be poured out on the ungodly and the unredeemed. But it won't be a flood because he told Noah and his family, y'all don't worry about that anymore. And why do you think the LGBTQ, do you think it's just random they've grabbed a rainbow out of nowhere? Now, they may not know they're doing it. They may be deceived. But you know what that is, right? You're not going to do anything to us. We're going to take this promise of God not destroying the world, misunderstanding it because he just said he wasn't going to destroy it by water again. He is going to destroy it. And now that's become the symbol of the very thing that brought destruction. They might not know the irony of the choice of that symbol, but is the ultimate defiance. So in Peter's day, the attack was from the outside and the inside of the church. The Lord will preserve his own. That we can celebrate. But are you his own? It's a great word for the saints, for those that have been redeemed. It's, 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 it's a great word for those that have been redeemed. But not so much for the unjust, the ones that are causing all the issues right now, you false teachers, you false prophets that are deceiving people. And my heart breaks for those that are being deceived. But those of you that are doing it, you will not escape the coming judgment. Those that are being deceived by you, there's a chance that they'll be redeemed, that they'll, they'll hear the truth and they'll realize your heresy, your apostasy. And God's knocking you down one by one. He's exposing you. I think he's purging the Western church of most of you. But a lot of you still exist. And if you double down and you remain unredeemed and you continue this deliberate deception, you will not get away with it. You will not get away with it. God promises that you will not get away with it. He offers redemption during this time of grace and during the church age for all who are willing. And I will say to be redeemed, but I will say to those that not only are the false teachers, but to those of you that may be watching this and you're part of a church body or maybe you're a leader in a church body where you're allowing this kind of open sin to go unchecked, unaddressed, and joining in that you're deciding that God is evolving on things that he says in Scripture he's never evolved on, you won't get away with it. Judgment is coming on that. And, and the purity of the church from the inside, for those of us, just because you're not in leadership, if you're in a church body, you got to start standing up for God. Because he's going to deal with it. And we need to be found in his favor as opposed to the favor of human beings. We, we, if, if people hate you 
because of your devotion to him, fine. The ultimate goal of the disciple of Jesus is not to be liked. It's to be in the proper standing with God and never compromise him and not to be deceived by any false prophet or false teacher. And they are everywhere. Now more than ever, you must know, I must know the truth. And we must guard ourselves. We must guard his church. We must guard our families. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message uh, and the difficulty of the message. Uh, even now, I'm reminded that, uh, and, and your Holy Spirit is, is, is giving me confidence and fuel uh, to continue to stand up, even when at times it's costly and it's difficult and it's hurtful. But being in the proper standing with you is far more important than being in the proper standing with human beings. And thank you, Lord, for those that, that encourage and those that are, 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 are the brothers and sisters of the faith and of your truth that are always there to offer a word of encouragement right when it's needed. And help me to be that for others as well, like you have given those people to me in my life. There's people probably watching this right now. They'll hate it. Who knows what we've done with it. But you told me to prepare for that as well because I'm not anti-anybody else, Lord. I'm just, I'm just pro-you. I stand with you. I'm thankful for the redemption that you gave me. I know the price that you paid for me. I know, I know how big a debt that I owed. I know what a wretched, wretched man I, I was, and I know what a wretched man I could still be if I step out from under your authority. I'm capable of anything. And forgive me for the times that I've embarrassed you. Forgive me for the times that I've compromised you. But Lord, may the grace that you've shown me never be in vain. And may I never have an attitude of anything other than thankfulness. And thank you for saving me. And if there's anybody right now, Lord, that, that, that doesn't know you and maybe they've heard things today going, that's not what I, I I'm I, today's the day that I, I had clarity that I have been believing heresy. That today's the day that they get right with you and just repent of their sins and say, Lord, thank you for saving me and giving me this message today to deliver me from the oncoming destruction to all who blaspheme you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you for this time together. If I can help you at all, you can always reach me, rick at rickandbubba.com. Thanks a lot.